Tonight I want to kind of give you a little bit of a challenge tonight. Ask you a question, who's in your yoke? And you might be asking me, Brother Andrew, what in the world are you even talking about? Um, let's go ahead and look at to the scripture here. In Second uh, Corinthians chapter six or chapter six verses fourteen. Verse fourteen says, "Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel?" And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer, and then we'll go ahead and dive right in. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, just a um, reminder of what the Lord's Supper was. God, of what you have done in our life, Lord, for salvation. God, that um, you purchased our salvation. It was only because of uh, the cross that um, we're here tonight. And I thank you, Lord, what you went through for me. Father, I pray, Lord, tonight as we look at these verses, to speak to hearts. God, that um, uh, just give us a challenge tonight, Lord, to make sure that we're doing things correctly. And Father, I also just pray, Lord, if there's someone here who does not know you as their Savior, God, that they would trust you tonight. Lord, that they would leave this room tonight knowing they're on their way to heaven. Father, I thank you again for your love. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So first of all, what is a yoke? Well, as you can see here, a yoke was an instrument that was um, kept two animals together so that when they were plowing a field, uh, it kept them going in the same direction. Uh, as you notice with this, this yoke here, it's, uh, it's unequally yoked. Um, actually, in Scripture, uh, the Jews were commanded not to put a, a donkey and an together. Uh, but for the sake of illustration, this was a perfect illustration. Now, this yoke was, is something that's going to keep these two animals going in the same direction. Uh, there's no way that they can one goes left and one goes right. They're stuck. Um, they're, they're bound. Uh, the yoke also enables an animal to share the workload that it was given. Instead of one animal doing all the, of the work, it distributed the weight between the two. As you can see, there's a ring between the, two, the, the, the donkey and, and the, uh, the ox there, and it would be connected to a plow or, or something that they would be used to, to carry, to pull. Um, it also increased the amount of force an animal is capable of producing. Uh, two animals are, is able to pull more than just a single animal. And also it would help alleviate a tired animal uh, to be able to rest a little and the stronger one to continue to pull the plow. And so just for the sake of, of, of that illustration, we kind of wonder why does Paul use this illustration for the Corinthian church? Uh, the Corinthian church had a lot of worldly issues. First uh, Corinthians was mainly written to fix several of them that Paul um, had been informed of. In Paul's second letter, uh, they had fixed some of the problems, and Titus uh, helped them, and he helped them immensely. And, and when Titus came back, uh, it encouraged Paul so much from what uh, he had heard from them 
And uh, basically, that's the reason why Second Corinthians was writing was written was to um, was written back to to after Titus had met with them. Uh, but Paul still feared that they would go back to their worldly ways. And Paul here is exhorting them on the dangers of being too close to the world. Paul is also reminding them about who they are as believers in Christ and that they are different than those of the world. Now, I just want to jump real quick, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I know Dennis is here. He could probably quote it for me without a, without a second thought. But uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, though. You see, there's two yokes that um, I want to kind of give a comparison to tonight. First, Paul is warning not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But I want to share with you the yoke that we as believers should and be allowing in our lives. So, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. It says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, when you give Jesus control of your life, Jesus, like a, a, the lead ox in a team, determines the bearing. He determines the pace and the path of our life. Through His yoke, we feel His pull, His guidance, and His direction. By His yoke, He trains us to work effectively with Him. Being yoked to Jesus makes us partners with Him. Uh, but Paul here, if you if you go back to first or second Corinthians chapter six, and we're going to spend most of our time here. But Paul starts off this portion of scripture focusing on the importance of this yoke of being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Throughout Scripture, God deals with different areas that his children should not be unequally yoked with, with people who do not believe in God. Tonight, if if the time allows, I want to look at three of those. And so I'm going to be quick tonight. Uh, first of all, um, we should not be unequally yoked in relationships with other people. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God warned Israel about the dangers of being involved with unbelievers in regards to marriage and close friendships. God gave them this commandment for their protection because He knew how easy it was for people to be lured away in their hearts from Him by their emotional feelings of love for unbelievers. And, you know, God gave them that warning in Deuteronomy chapter 7, and by Judges chapter 3, it was already taking place. The Bible said that they, they married the, uh, the, the people in the land, that they did not uh, get out of the promised land, and the, the people there had turned their hearts away from God, turned it completely away from God. And so God was warning them, be careful, be careful. Then he knew that they would try to rationalize it so that they could per pursue that relationship. Uh, throughout Scripture, you see very few Gentile spouses ending up becoming believers. The only two that I could think of, and I'm, I probably could find a, a few more, I don't know, but Ruth and Rahab are the, the two rare testimonies out of millions of failed relationships. You don't see very many Gentiles being converted to Judaism being a, or even to Christianity um, who 
they're converted after they get married. You don't see that very often. But just as light and darkness do not mix, a believer and an unbeliever will not mix. Darkness occurs when there is the absence of light. Now, usually one of the following will take place when this type of relationship is pursued. First of all, a person who desires to have a relationship with someone that is not saved, uh, whether it's a, 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 it could be a good friendship or it could be something that leads to more, uh, to, a, to a marriage relationship, a person, will, because of their feelings, will deceive themselves, thinking that they can change the person they like or have fallen in love with, and that they can make them become a Christian. Um, sadly, that's not true. The person they fall in love with will either draw them away from going to church and spending time with God and obeying God's Word. I've seen this happen more times than I wish to say. I've seen it a lot. Uh, just, you know, especially uh, in, our, in, in college age and, and as, as we get older after, after we turn 18 and things like that, um, it seems like once you, you start getting interested in somebody, that, and especially someone who's not saved, very rarely do they actually, uh, you pull them. Most often, they pull you. And, um, and rather than following what God's will is, they pull you out of church. I've seen that far more than, than I care to even think about. And it breaks my heart. It grieves my heart because you see, I mean, you see people who are, who are serving the Lord, striving to do right, striving to, to, to make a difference in this world. And here comes along a pretty face, and they get interested in them, and pretty soon they're following the pretty face rather than following God. Or the hunk of a guy, whatever, you know. Um, <laughs> but um, you know what happens. I mean, there's probably people here that should be here tonight that were here before, years ago. Or that should be here, but because they decided to, to follow their heart, they're not here. And then when that relationship doesn't end well, they're so far gone that they don't think that they can get right. And, um, and so they, they really rather just stay away and give up on God. Now, sometimes though, the person that they love just plays along until they get what they want. And then once that commitment is done, they show their real thoughts and will fight against the other person's attempt to change them. A married relationship becomes scarred by the fighting. And rather than serving God together, they do not speak to each other about God because of the arguing it unleashes. There's an old Puritan saying that says, if you're a child of God and you married a child of the devil, you will be sure to have trouble with your father-in-law. And um, we have enough trouble as it is with our adversary. But um, I can see how true that is. So what happens, though, if you happen to, to you have a spouse that, that isn't saved? Uh, do we just give up and throw in the towel? Absolutely not. Um, maybe they're, they're in, in your life, maybe uh, a person gets you get saved after you got married. You didn't know the gospel. I mean, it completely changed your life. Uh, do you now give up on your spouse? Absolutely not. First uh, Corinthians seven um, tells us that we need to to stay with our spouses as long as possible. They may not want to get saved, but it's not a reason for us to ask for a divorce. The Bible says that by our mannerisms, 
and how you walk with God and, and pray for your spouse that uh, will work on their heart. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3. Pastor mentioned this earlier this morning. Your spouse still isn't saved. There's still hope. Um, until they breathe their last breath, there's still hope that they can get saved. Uh, don't give up on your spouse. Don't give up. I mean, keep praying for them. Keep praying that, that God will work on their heart, that, that, um, uh, that God... Here's the thing. Let God work on them. Sometimes He has to bring them to the woodshed to get a, to get a hold of their heart, to break them. Sometimes God has to, to deal with them in a hard way, and we don't like to see it. But sometimes that might be the only way to get a hold of their heart. First uh, Peter chapter 3 says, Likewise, verse number 1, Ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, by the, uh, the manner. Um, while they behold their chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be on the outward adorning of plating the hair and the wearing of gold or of putting out of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, of great price. Now, this works both ways. And here the scripture is talking about the wife, but if you know if you're the husband and your wife is not saved, uh, it works both ways. When they see the difference that is in your life, with your walk with God, uh, when you you know, you're not coming in there like a bulldog and, and barking around orders all the time. When they see that how the Lord has, is now leading you in your life and how um, they're showing you, uh, you know, God is, is, is directing your path and your walk with Him, and they see that difference. And they see that, you know what, you, you actually love them. You're actually trying to obey what we heard this morning, you know, that you're trying to love them as Christ loved the church. And they, and they begin to see that. It, it makes a difference. It makes an impact on their heart. And um, it will make a change, but keep on praying for them. Don't give up on them. You're supposed to stay with them as long as they wish to be with you. But most importantly, serve God and leave your spouse's heart in His hands. God knows how to work on them far better than you and I do. He knows, he knows exactly what's on their heart. He knows exactly how to reach them. We just need to keep on praying and asking God, God, save them. Save them. Secondly, not only just in our personal relationships, but also in our business affairs and in the workplace. In verse 14, um, Paul reminds us, again, if we jump over there real quickly, verse 14. Paul reminds us that fellowship, what fellowship does the righteous have with unrighteousness? Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Um, when you make a business transaction, when you get into a, a deal with somebody in, a, in, a fi- in the financial realm, uh, making decisions to deal with a business proposition or a contract of partnership you're actually, when you, when you put together a contract, 
you're actually joining into a yoke with that person. And, um, and it can be a messy situation if, if, you're, if you're not wise about it. Um, just as you're in that contract and that yoke, um, you're bound by whatever the other person chooses to do. Um, two people are yoked, and one person's choices compel the other person to follow the same choices, even without their consent. Uh, and if one partner signs a contract, or he spends the, the money and buys or sells property, or even violates the law, the other partner is bound by that action or decision. Um, so when you go into a business transaction, you're bound together. People who are who are lost or who are are unbelievers, they generally will not have the same desires as a Christian does with their business. A Christian seeks to further the kingdom of God, whereas a person who is not a Christian mainly seeks how they themselves can prosper. Psalm ten four says, "The wicked, though the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts." Now there may be some times that in your workplace you need to make a stand when business practices that do something that could be contrary to Scripture and morality. See, a, a lost person, an unbeliever, will not understand why you're taking a stand, and they may become your enemy. Psalm 11.2 says, For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. For example, a Christian should tie the increase that his business is blessed with. But an unsaved person will think it is foolish to throw away that money and not use it for themselves. And Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? So be very careful when you enter into a business affair with somebody who is not a believer. It could end up being a load of heartache. And lastly tonight, be not unequally yoked in your desires and pleasures. Look at verse number 16. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Paul here is also warning us not to be yoked with idols and to separate from unclean things. See, as a Christian, there are some things that you should not, that you should not do or partake in. Um, it's wrong to go to a pub and have a few beers. When you trusted Christ, God gave you the Holy Spirit to help you discern right from wrong. If you listen to Him, He'll start showing you the right things to do and what not to do. He will help you if you listen and obey Him. But most times, we try to justify the things that we still like to do even though we know that they're wrong to do. People watch the wrong kind of movies because they want to, and they think that, eh, it's not going to affect me. And the images that they see, the language that they hear, uh, that it's not going to make an impact on them. They'll also listen to the world's music and think that it's just not going to influence them. See, there was a man in the Bible that kind of thought the same thing. You know, he thought, well, I'm just going to, to dwell in a, in a city here that's known for being a, a city of sin, and um, sinners exceedingly, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, so he thought to bring his family into it, not realizing that the influence of that city was going to destroy his family. 
and destroy him. <clears throat> so by the end of the day, the man named Lot lost everything. He lost everything because uh, he thought that, you know what, the world's not going to influence me. What I do isn't going isn't to make an impact on my family. And rather than make a difference in the city, the city made a difference in him. And Second um, Peter verses 2 and 7 8 says, And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. As he's walking about every single day, seeing the ungodliness of the people in Sodom, seeing the ungodliness that uh, was going around him, and pretty soon he stopped caring. It stopped making an impact on him. But little did he know, it actually began to work on his daughter's hearts. And they married men from Sodom, and, and um, sadly, they didn't believe their, their father when they warned him about the, the coming destruction of the city. You see, I believe God is calling every Christian to come out from following these idols of desires and pleasures that we all have and put above Christ. If there's a hobby or a sport, a concert, a movie, TV show, etc. that pulls you out of church and takes you away from time with God, then it is an idol and needs to be cast down out of your life. Paul isn't saying Christians need to isolate themselves from those of the world. Some people say when it, when it says come out from among them that that God's saying all his, you know all of his people need to isolate themselves and have no contact with the world. I don't believe he's saying that. Um, the world does have influence on us and we'd be a, a fool to think otherwise. But you cannot reach the world with the gospel if you hide yourself from them. If you hide yourself in a hole, in a cave, you're, you're not going to make an impact on the world around you. So make a difference where you are in your workplace or your school. Reach out to your coworkers and your classmates. Let them see your walk with God and don't be afraid. Let them see something different in you. Let God use you to be the influence on them instead of them influencing you. I mean, let them see something different. See something that, that, that they desire. Because when, when they see something that's true, when they see something that's right, it'll make an impact on their heart. So in conclusion tonight, I just want to warn you about being careful of the relationships that we form with those who are not believers, who aren't saved. If your new relationship, whether a friendship or looking for a future spouse, causes you to forsake church attendance, your Bible time and, and prayer, as well as your personal devotion time, or even serving in ministries in the church, then you can know that's not from God. It's a distraction. Because God would not bring someone along your way to pull you away from Him. That would not be from God. It's a distraction. And it's not from Him. Just as light and darkness do not mix, a believer and an unbeliever will not mix. Darkness occurs where there is an absence of light. The more they that they pull you away from God, the dimmer your light will shine. But if your spouse is not saved, there's still hope. Keep on praying and let God work on them. Keep on praying because there's still hope. You need to be careful with whom you enter in business deals with. 
making decisions to deal with a business proposition or a contract, be aware that just as these two animals are yoked and bound by whatever the other chooses to do. Using the workplace, unsaved people have different desires and goals than a person that is saved. Now, as a word of warning, um, just because a person claims to be a Christian and saved does not mean it's a good idea to enter into a relationship or business relationship with them. Just because they say they're saved, just because they, you know, they claim that they are, doesn't mean, okay, it's an automatic yes. Um, always seek counsel with your pastor, with your parents, and older, experienced Christians before pursuing anything. Always ask God for direction and wisdom when dealing with people and situations. Scripture says in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Just because a person comes and claims that, that they're a Christian and um, doesn't mean it's, it's okay to, to pursue a relationship with them. Ask your pastor. Ask your parents. Because they can look at, ask somebody outside of the situation. Because they can see some things maybe that you can't see. Maybe they can see some, they, they gauge things and say, you know what, this doesn't seem right. And they can give you counsel. And they can give you warning. Uh, you know, if you discard your parents' warning right off the bat, uh, that means there's something wrong. Because, honestly, your parents want the best for you. Uh, they want the best person for you. I mean, they want they want the right spouse for you. And, um, I mean, just be careful. Be very careful. And do not go into a counseling time with your mind made up that you're not going to listen and you're going to do what you want to do anyway. And uh, because that will only end with a lot of hurt. Paul also warns us not to be yoked with idols and to separate from unclean things. If there's a hobby or a sport or a TV show that pulls you out of church, takes you away, then it's an idol that needs to be cast down. You kind of wonder, you know, why, why isn't there the crowd that we had Sunday morning? I mean, is it because there's a TV show that they need to, to watch or a match tonight? Uh, what's more important than God? What, what has taken precedence in their life, in their hearts, more than God? And um, you have to be careful what that idol is. Remember, Paul isn't saying Christians need to isolate themselves from those of the world. Because you can't reach the, someone with, in the world with the gospel if you hide yourself from them. You see, God says we're supposed to be the light and the salt of the earth. Our lives should be one of holiness and difference, and doing the things the world does not do. They should look to us in our lives, and they should see when they watch us, there should be, we should, in a sense, make them thirsty. Make them want to know, what makes this person different? Why, what is it about them? Why, do they, why are they always smiling? Why do they have a joy in their face? Why do they have a peace that's going on in their life? What is so different about these these, these born-again Christians, what, what's the, the impact? We need to give them a, a good taste of the water of, of eternal life. But we need to get them thirsty first. Lastly, we need to look at the yoke that Jesus gives us. When you give Jesus control of your life, He will determine the bearing, the pace, and the path of your life. When you give Him control, He will guide and direct you every step of your life. He'll, he'll bring it to the right person, um, but it's all in His timing. 
when you let him set the pace, sometimes that's the hardest because we want to run ahead of God many times. But I can tell you this, that the, the timing of God is absolutely perfect as you wait upon him and as you trust him. Um, through his, his yoke, we feel his pull. You know, he's sometimes he has to pull us a little hard to get us back on direction, doesn't he? Uh, sometimes it hurts a little bit because he's got to give us a good yank. Um, but if we let him have that control and let him do that, he'll keep us in direction. And by his yoke, as, as we live our lives for Christ, he trains us to work effectively with him. The more time you spend with him, the more you'll be able to, to know what to do. So I ask you tonight, who is in your yoke? Is it you? Are you, are you in your own yoke? Are you, are you yoked up with someone that you shouldn't be? Uh, to a degree with maybe a friendship or something like that? Or is, are you letting God be the one that's in the yoke of your life? Um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that the Lord saved me. And um, after I got saved... Because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up in, in a, uh, a home with, with Christian friends and things like that. And so when I, got, when I trusted Christ as my Savior and I began to, to go to church, um, I was amazed that my friends didn't want to hang around me anymore. And it, and it really broke my heart because, you know, they, for example, they, uh, they loved to play paintball. And, of course, they always played paintball on Sunday morning. And um, and I had to make a decision. It was either God or my friends. It would have been very easy to say, you know what, I'm going to go have, have some spend some time with my buddies. But I decided to put God first. And um, those friends, I haven't seen them in 15 years. But God gave me some friends that were above and beyond what they were. Friends I could count on and call any time and know that they have my back and that I can serve the Lord with. And, um, and so when you allow God to, to direct your life and control your life and, and, and give Him uh, leeway in your life, He'll bring the best for your life. He'll bring the right people in your life. And, um, and so trust the Lord because His way is the best. He can see the grand picture. We can't see. But he knows exactly where to lead us in our life. Let's go ahead and bow our word in a prayer. And we'll finish this evening. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for your love and your mercy. Just pray that you would. Father, just bless your word tonight, Lord. It's so easy to, to get unequally yoked uh, with friends and, and uh, with different desires and idols in our life, Lord. And um, I just pray, God, that you would just uh, use your word to strengthen us. Encourage us tonight, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for those who, who may have, have spouses that are, that are lost. I pray, God, that you would save them. I pray that their hearts would turn to you, Lord. God, that they would trust you as their Savior. And God, that you would uh, create a new home. A home that desires to serve you with all their heart. And I just pray, God, that you would encourage those who who may have been struggling, trying to, try, trying to, to follow you and live for you, Lord, um, when it seems like they're all alone. And I just pray that you'd strengthen them exceedingly tonight, Lord. And I thank you so much again for your love 
again for what you've done in that cross for me. In Jesus' precious name we pray.